Inspiration. Such a demanding thing. Or does it have to be? You can't make something if you're not consuming something. Or I create art in ordinariness. One doesn't have to look very far. Let me say a, a cosmic phenomenon. In conversations, ideas come to life. All of these things can be wellsprings of creativity. I want to be able to teach people, inspire people. That's where it all began. Somehow managed to see an opportunity where others didn't get it off the ground. People resonate with it and it's become its own thing. They told the story around it, and that's what really inspired me. There's so many possibilities. It's a very big pond, I guess. Thankful that I got like super bored not doing anything, so that made me start putting myself out there. Just be yourself. Just appreciate everything. It's all material. It's a podcast for and by creatives. My name is Aubrey, and I dare say it's all material. Let's get to the nitty-gritty now, shall we? This episode is in partnership with South Republic. That's South Republic with a K on YouTube and Facebook. It's all material. Welcome to the show where we talk about all things creative and the other things that come with it. This podcast aims to show some love to artists and creatives all over the world. And today I'm joined by someone who I think you know to be very inspirational. She's the very definition, the very sense of an artist. And I can't believe she's here. Jad Montenegro. Hi, Jad. How's it going? I'm good. Thank you so much for inviting me. And thanks too for saying yes. Um, I know you're really busy and you're still found the time to, to join me tonight. And um, I was just wondering, how's the past two years been for you? I don't really know how to answer that question. <laughs> like asking somebody like, how's the past two years been where you had no freaking idea what you were doing? <laughs> like basically, yeah, that's. That's what the past two years have been for me. I've been um, surviving and trying not to feel too bad about just surviving. You know, like um, self-preservation has been key and uh, preservation in the sense of uh, mental preservation, mm. uh, physical preservation. So right. for the past two years, it's been a ride. Yeah, it's really crazy. Everything's been crazy, but um, right now you're here and you also mentioned before that you, you're currently managing a, an orphanage. So how's that been? Uh, it's been crazy. <laughs> so um, at, the, at the point of the start of the pandemic, that was when I took over as the managing director mm. for an orphanage. And an orphanage is basically like a closed healthcare institution and yeah. um so i had the, and then i was like I, it was hard enough transitioning uh, as be, to be the director of like this uh, you know there's like people their staff who need to follow my authority and whatever and i'm like oh should i actually be a person in authority <laughs> i was like thinking stuff like that and then the pandemic hit so like as if it wasn't hard enough making that transition COVID-19 hit and nobody had any idea what to do like what what are we gonna do um do we pull them out of school do we Mm. tell the caregivers that 
okay, you you cannot go home. Or <laughs> what? What do we say? Like, um, you. So, like, we had to make a ton of changes. I had to basically figure out what to do on the fly. It became easier the following year, but the first year it was crazy. I had to um, put in place a lot of safety protocols that. You know, I, it felt like everybody else was just making it up as they went along. You know, nobody had any um, precedent, right, for, for what happened. Nobody had any, uh, there wasn't a COVID-19 handbook from, uh, you know, there was a, there, <laughs> that I could. Yeah, yeah. Like every couple of weeks, they change the stuff. And then, hey, you're not allowed to do this again. And oh, my God. Exactly. If I could Google what to do in orphanages for COVID-19. <laughs> I would have done it, <laughs> but it, I, I couldn't. So um, yeah, it was a bunch of Googling stuff and ask and crowdsourcing, like asking other people like, hey, what are you doing? Um, in my, like, it's a good thing that some of my relatives are doctors. Oh. So I got a lot of tips from them on, you know, doffing and um, safety protocols and entering stuff. And we went on total lockdown, pretty much, like no visitors. Yeah, so, um, uh, and I've been really lucky so far that in ever since the COVID-19 pandemic started, we haven't had a single COVID case in our institution, not a single one. Wow. Yeah, I think I was- Good on you. Good on you. You guys are doing great. That's extra paranoid, <laughs> so- <laughs> it helps to be extra paranoid <laughs> yeah all right so I wanted to talk to you more about um your music life so a lot of people already know you to have achieved so much with your band like over the past over the past decade and um I just I just wanted you know to kind of review like what the journey has been for you and um and what your plans are like in the future so um my first question like when did you realize that you wanted to become a musician mm, it was back in the dark ages in the beginning of time <laughs> 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 I was like I'm so this is making me sound like so freaking old <laughs> um, but yeah um it was really less of a realization and more like it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to put out an EP. It wasn't like that. It was more like, oh, here mm. I am. Um, I guess I'm going to do this. It was really a spontaneous series of people, events, and circumstances that led me on my journey, on my musical journey with my band. And the band's gone through several iterations since it started as well. And it, it didn't even start as the band that I have now. So um, it really started when I was in college in UP Diliman. Mm. That was in QC. So QC is pretty, QC is pretty big. UP Diliman is freaking big. Mm. I was from Davao. I was like just, I was dorming mm -hmm. and I didn't know anybody. And I joined a band. That was my way of like relating to people around me at the time. I, I, I joined a band called Apollo Creed. And I was their rhythm guitarist, this, mm. this original guy. Nice name, by the way. Yeah, Apollo Creed, right? <laughs> so you were the rhythm guitarist, but you didn't sing yet for them. I didn't sing. I didn't start out as a singer. I started as a guitarist. Wow. I was a rhythm guitarist because the original rhythm guitarist guy moved to Italy. 
and they were like oh shit we need somebody can you can you play guitar you play guitar right <laughs> so that was basically <laughs> like, okay can you play guitar for our for our next three gigs <laughs> so that's <laughs> so that's basically it and i played like and so i subbed for him and that was a punk band and i played a black ibanez flying v because you had to be you know you're you, you have to have a look you had to look the part and i wore um i wore thigh high socks mm. yeah <laughs> And I did the whole shebang, and that, and then after that, I became um, the lead guitarist for um, a post-hardcore band called um, Glory Days of Summer, and then we did tribute covers for the band Brand New mm-hmm. because yeah. that was Brand New was our favorite band at the time. And then and, you know I had a whole bunch of other bands. I was a guitarist for a goth band. I was a guitarist for um, a panty rock band. <laughs> That's what they called it. <laughs> Panty rock. Panty rock. Because, <laughs> because they was called they were called Death by Tampon. And um my friend was in it. And sometimes she was like, she was gunning to be like a kuma cum laude for her course or whatever. And she was like, oh my god, I'm going to fail my course if I keep going to gigs. So can you please be the one to, <laughs> to play guitar? <laughs> so I was like, okay. And you were like, fam, I got you. Okay, I got you, fam. I'm not gunning for summa cum laude or anything. I'm just, you know. I'm hanging on by my dress here, whatever. So I was like, okay, I'll pray. <laughs> and yeah, and then at the, so basically my musical genesis or whatever started in Manila. And it wasn't even as a um, slow playing a ballad acoustic uh, songwriter, singer songwriter. It wasn't like that. Right, right. Yeah. And then I moved to, I'm back to Davao City because uh, my dad got sick. And then I didn't know anybody. <laughs> I, I, I'd been in a bunch of bands already, but. When I moved back, I was like, okay, this is the same thing all over again. I, just, I don't know anybody. <laughs> back to. Yeah, back to mm. square one. I don't know anybody, but I want to be in a band, man. <laughs> I want to play. Mm. So mm. I went to oh, the Dreyan Bar. And then I, every, I met Paolo Castillo, who was the owner. Mm. And he said, Gusto mo ka banda? Because I was just playing by myself. Gusto mo ka banda? And I said, na, sure. And he introduced me to Dave and Pijo, who were my bandmates at the time. Ooh. And then it, it just started from there everything started from there <laughs> that's it so when you started out with your band already here in Davao like how was the songwriting process how did that go like like from the brainstorming like did you just like present the stuff that you already had to the guys or like did you guys like really sit on sit down and and plan and you know just just vibe and and jam or or how was it I think there was a little bit of all of that. Um, I basically had already had a lot of material. I'd been writing songs mm. a lot. This was a, maybe like a year into my meeting uh, Paolo Castillo and hanging out with the Durian Bar people, um, joining their gigs and, and being part of their productions. I'd already had some stuff down and I'd, I'd done some demos. I'd recorded them. It's just, you know, like on a... On a CD, I'd recorded some of them on a CD and then I let them hear it. So basically the lyrics and the melody were, were already down. And uh, Dave and Pijo sat down with me mm-hmm. and they listened to it and they were like, okay, this sounds cool. I think it would be cool if we did this. And, you know, one thing led to another and then the songs came out. And at the time, Dave wasn't even a guitarist. He was um, he was our drummer. We were a three-piece. We had one bass. We had one guitar. We had one drummer. <laughs> <laughs> and parang punks na punks na punks. Oh my so um yes and we managed to do our gigs that way and I, I played an acoustic guitar and that's 
that's how it started. So what was the first gig that you can remember with the guys? Um, Durian Bar. Uh, basically, Durian yeah, Bar. Uh, probably a Kaiban gig. Uh, they had this production called Kaiban at the time. And it was the production production outfit, I would say, at the time. Like um, Because Kaiban uh, had a lot of bands under its roster. Mm. And it was doing a lot of gigs at the time. So it would just have all these gigs in Durian Bar. And basically, Durian Bar was the, before Suazo, it was Sales. But before Sales, it was Durian Bar. So yeah, everybody came together there. It was kind of like the center of it all. And going back to your songwriting, um, what were the types of experiences that just get you to write, to make something? Type of experiences? Um, probably a string of excess. A string of excess that I was mad at probably fueled the first few EP, the first few songs in my EPs. Mm. Like um, there was this one time that I went to Cebu um, with an ex, and when we got there, he broke up with me on my my freaking birthday. Damn, what a dick! Oh, <laughs> and I was like, oh my god. But yeah, <laughs> I got a lot of mileage out of that song, so I'm I'm cool with it now. <laughs> yeah, pulled off an Adele right there. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh my god, the 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 ugat of this guy to to break up with me here, and then so I wrote a song about him, and that song became Invincible. Um, and the lyrics were like, all of our friends who still don't know who's gonna tell them all of the memories that we have made. We are not. We are gonna forget them. All of the promises that you've made you're not going to keep them. I wrote it because something happened to me in a city where I didn't know anybody. And I'd, you know, I'd gone to that city with somebody that I trusted. And that person just basically left me alone in that city. And then I didn't know what to do. I mean, eventually I went home, but not for like a year and a half. I like, I stuck it out there. Yeah. So I was like, I guess I was just being stubborn or something. I was like, I'm not. Okay. So he broke up with me. Fine. That, that doesn't mean I need to go home. So I, I stay there and I work there and I wrote songs there. And yeah. So that's one of the things like um, emotional, uh, emotional resources are one of the things that leads me to create a song. And then basically anything really that inspires me. And it could even be as inane and mundane as like just a sound that I like. Sometimes I like the sound of, um, you know, this could be coins on a pavement or something scraping against something else. Mm. You know, that like that sounds like a cool bass. That sounds like a cool hi-hat or whatever. Yeah. 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 As long as we keep consuming, we get something out of it and we turn it into material. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everything is material. It's all material. Yes. So with your songwriting, yeah, I'm really curious about how you start a song. Like, I'm not sure if this is like something that someone has already asked you, but like, do you like start with the lyrics or do you start with like the guitars or is it the melody? Like what usually comes first for you? I don't know if it's because I started out as a guitarist, really. And I started out not singing and not being a front person per se but I tend to write the guitar melodies first mm. yeah I tend to write the chords first because I like okay I like how this na 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 oh, like, I, I, I go like that I go like that in my head or now that I used to all write it on a guitar now that and now I sometimes write it on a midi mm-hmm. midi controller and a DAW a digital audio workstation like I like I use from um, FL Studio. Ooh, FL. So that's what I use. And sometimes I use um, iOS stuff. 
So I, I, I had a phase where I used iOS music. And then I would just write down uh, the melodies first. The first instrument that I actually played was not a guitar, it was a um, keyboard. So sometimes I will write down using a keyboard, using a piano. And uh, yeah. And then I, I try to find the lyrics that will fit it. Nice, nice. So um, how did you manage the songwriting, the whole gigging? Like, how did you manage it along with, like, let's say your day job or your school? Or um, how was it? How was the time management? I wouldn't say that I was, like, perfect at managing the time. Like, you know, I pissed my parents off a couple times, came home late a whole bunch of times, mm -hmm. um, like, pissed off my boyfriend, my now husband, who is... <laughs> who was um, long distance at the time because he was in Cebu and I was in Davao. Oh. And yeah. And he'd call me and he'd call me like really late, like close to dawn. And he'd be like, aren't you going home yet? And I was like, no, we're like the last band in the gig. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think I'm going home. <laughs> like, it's 3 a.m. And there's like three metal bands before us. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't think I'm going to go <laughs> Yeah, so it'd be, it'd be like that sometimes. And yeah, um, but it wasn't always like that, you know. So I'd, I'd do my best to um, go early and end early, but it, I didn't always do that. I wasn't always a good girl all the time. I mean, whoever is, you know, know like right? you're there to have fun, you're there to talk to people. Um, but as I grew older into it, you know, like as I matured, like I eventually got married. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, okay, can, can you just put me for the 7 p.m. slot? I don't care if nobody watches this. <laughs> <laughs> so I can go home at 12. Adulting be like. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd be like. Do you ever get creative block? Are there just some days when you're like, Ugh, I don't feel like writing right now? Or I just, there's just nothing that I can get out of my head. Oh, yeah, definitely. 100, 200, 500 percent. They're totally days. How do you deal with them? I guess um, everybody deals with it differently. I know that my husband, when he's got creative block, he just gets, I hate him because he just gets up off of his chair and then he takes a nap. And he's the kind of, he's the kind of annoying person who can <laughs> fall asleep in five seconds. Oh my. So <laughs> it's super annoying. Right? He's super annoying. And then he, he wakes up and he's like, okay, I got over it. But I'm not like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like that at all. Um, usually, I just need to be inspired by somebody else. That's usually like the best thing that'll get like it'll light a fire under my ass. Mm -hmm. If I don't have any ideas, seeing somebody else have ideas kind of inspires me because like, look at him. He has ideas all. <laughs> Yeah, if they can do it, why can't I? Something. Yeah, exactly. keyboard like, So that's like how I would how I would do it. It's more like a reverse psychology or something. I don't know. But yeah, that's that's mostly it. And then sometimes I just um leave the particular field that I'm interested in at the moment. So if I have new um a creative block in using my DAW, for example, I just stop completely using that mm. and then I go watercolor something like I work on a watercolor painting mm. and yeah right, a different outlet, yeah, different outlet. that's a great great idea and then I just revisit yeah can you tell me more about your water your watercolor art like when did that come about mm, I haven't been doing it very long 
I don't, I would not consider myself like an expert or anything. Well, of course, being married, I'm married to a comic book artist, a professional illustrator. So, you know, art's going to creep up on my life no matter what. Um, there's like a ton of art materials mm-hmm. in our house. Mm-hmm. And um, I started water and I was like, okay, I, I, I'm also artist. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he's artist. I'm also artist. And so I, I was like, okay. So I did watercolor and I've, I've always been interested in drawing. I've, I drew all throughout college. I was a complete weeb in college and drew like anime yes you know yes exactly it's like weeaboo and then I I drew Kenshin all throughout college and all the other guys I was in love with and so in 2015 I just I was like okay I'm gonna try to learn watercolor and uh fortunately a morning light uh art shop was also you know at its peak and you know fueling everybody's art craze at the time yes exactly right remember morning light so yeah mm. um we were so lucky to have a an art shop in Davao at that time so everybody was and with artist grade stuff that really help you know make the the works look better yeah yeah exactly and um I was so um I enjoyed myself so much and I did it so much I started like a hundred days of watercolor thing wow, right commitment yeah, I painted every single day for like 100 days. And I don't think I finished 100 days. But um, yeah, it, it helped me improve a lot. And I figured out what I liked. I figured out what I didn't like. I figured out where I sucked. And eventually I was doing um watercolor workshops because I, I, I got, you know, people were like, oh, you're really good at florals. So can you teach us how mm-hmm. to do them? And so I did wow. watercolor workshops on florals for a while. And some of our workmates attended that. <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, it was nice. It was fun. Who was your role model growing up, like with your creativity? Can you name anybody? In terms of creativity, I didn't exactly have a role model. My parents were not exactly artist types. Uh, my father was uh, an econ- uh, economics major. He became a businessman. And my mother was an an accountant so neither of them were particularly in a creative field but my father played guitar all the time and he was in a band and um, he treated it like uh, something that he could do in his spare time but he was really good so he was the first person that I heard sing Mm -hmm. and play the guitar and so some of the first songs I learned were songs that he liked like stuff from David Cross and Alison Krauss and all that stuff like American Americana mm. and bluegrass. I liked a lot of that stuff. He was probably the closest thing that I had nice. to inspiration, really. Cool. Have you ever given yourself like um, a pseudonym, like ever, like, or has it always been Jad Montenegro? <laughs> Actually, I did not want to be known as Jad Montenegro. Like, I was like having a band name that's your name is like the height of narcissism. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be Jad Montenegro band, you know, I don't want <laughs> like Dave Matthews band. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want I want to be something cool. Like at the time, I was like, I want to be, and this was before the Kardashians even became famous. It's like I was, um I like this character in the Rats of Nim book, um, Jenner. Jenner. Uh, there was a rat named Jenner, and I was he was really cool. And I was like, I want that to be my band name. I'm gonna be Jenner. <laughs> I want to be Jenner the band. <laughs> and then the Kardashians reality show came out. I was like, okay, I don't want to be gender anymore. And then, yeah, but I wanted, I didn't actually want to be named after myself. 
it it, it just became a thing like it it spun out of my control and more people just put my name on the on the band posters like at that at that point there had been about like i don't know 20 30 band posters that had just just decided to put my name there judgment Negro is the act playing tonight and at this point in time she gained like two bandmates so now they're a three-piece band so now they're the Jad Montenegro, but they're a band. So it just became like that. <laughs> it just became like that. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, yeah. but if I had to do it all over again, I would have chosen to, you know, just have a different name, not Jenner. Damn it. Definitely not Jenner. Have you had any struggles like as a band? Like, and how were you able to, you know, just soldier through it and overcome it? Oh, definitely. Like the band, like I said before, like the band's gone through through several iterations, and it's mostly just because of the passage of time. Mm. You know, like we'd been together for so long, and uh, some of us grew up and grew out of the band. Some of them uh, became a dad. Some of them uh, decided to pursue a different field. One of the challenges, like probably one of the concrete challenges we had, was like um, we joined the Converse. Converse competition we had been contacted by Converse and they were like okay we're gonna bring you to Manila and where you're gonna participate in this uh, competition and so we we went to Manila if you can imagine all the logistics of bringing band band equipment uh drums guitars everything oh yeah um loading them up and uh traveling with them in you know a major metropolis mm. and we had gigs we had we would do like three or four gigs a night and they wouldn't be close to each other exactly that we'd have a gig in QC and then we'd have another gig in Makati oh gosh and then we would do that on top of you know the pressure of being in a competition so we were, we were doing all these little gigs on the side we were like oh we're here in Manila we have to go to Seguijo we have to go to um 70s bistro mm-hmm. and then all my friends who are in bandmates my band friends in manila who i do have several of um they were like okay you have to go to our you have to play here and you have to so that was hard on our band dynamic Mm. especially because um when you're traveling with people and you're tired every single night it's hard to be creative and that was really one of the things that tested our metal you know as a as a group when that kind of situation happens, somebody always rises up to be the leader. Somebody always rises up as the kind of person who finds out the, the directions. Mm-hmm. People's personalities come out in that kind of situation. That was one of the things that was hard as a band. You know, we got you know into some friction. We had to uh, basically room in a backpacker hostel, mm-hmm. and you know there was like um, not everybody there had the greatest hygiene. Oh yeah, God. <laughs> so we were yeah. So like lots of things like that. Or um, when we got there, the elevator was broken. So we had to lug all our equipment up like five flights of stairs. <gasps> struggle. And, yeah, it's a struggle. And I was like, oh my God, how do people do this every single day? Like bands who go on tour, they probably do this every single day. I mean, they're probably more cushy. Like they have they have their own van or whatever. And, you know, they just sleep in the van and they have uh, roadies and whatever and we had none of those but still like that's a lot of pressure right and that really got me thinking do I want to do that do I want to travel and tour with my band for a really long time you gotta really like these people in order to do that 
So yeah. Yeah. Was it worth it though? The experience, like considering everything that has, um, you know, happened in the. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely worth it. Like, there's nothing quite like being in a band. There's nothing like um, having people. It's like being in a closely knit barcada. You have um, implicit understandings with each other because if you didn't mm-hmm. lang gets na. yes exactly <laughs> but not that way um, like if you didn't have that you wouldn't be able to make the kind of music that you did you wouldn't be able to collaborate every single night because every every gig every performance is basically a collaboration yeah. and you, you cannot do that day after day night after night or even gig after gig if you don't understand these people on some sort of visceral level yeah and for a short while i really enjoy that i love that and that was something special no matter how hard sometimes things got so out of all of the features that you guys had like for press for media like which one was your favorite my favorite probably the one um, in pulp magazine just because it was pulp (laughs) i was like oh that was cool pulp pulp magazine rock and roll oh oh, yeah (laughs) so i was like yeah i love it yeah it was cool and you know every time um a local publication would put us on the the front page that was cool I was like, look, mom, <laughs> mommy, on the newspaper. Hey, look, ma, I made it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was a moment like that. Like, look, dad, oh, and then my dad would take pictures of of the newspaper and post it on his Facebook. <laughs> so yeah, so those are my favorites, the ones that my parents liked because they weren't always like super into everything I did. Like my mom, to this day, wishes I would just write Christian songs, be the church. Christian song leader mm. but I was like I was like no it's like that's never gonna happen but yeah mm. so my favorite were the ones that they could be proud of and when you released your your EP Detours uh, in 2013 was this uh before the Converse um event or was this after I think that was before yeah that was probably before already I'd already released the EP and then we did the the Converse thing so it's one thing after another. We had the EP and then we had the conversing. I think I remember an interview that we had uh, right before you guys launched the EP, but I was still connected to a radio station back then. And um, I remember you mentioned that you guys just recorded it all at home. <laughs> yeah. We recorded everything at home. What was it like? Uh, there was a lot of people eating at my house every day. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, it was kind of a pain in the ass because like, yeah, there's all these people in your house every day. And um, I was trying to quit smoking and they would all freaking smoke in my house. I was like, mm. this is not helping me quit smoking. <laughs> I was like, this sucks. <laughs> but yeah, it was fun. Um, we'd make dinner together after recording all day or like sometimes we wouldn't record. We'd be arguing all day. We'd argue about what we wanted to record and not get any recording done. It was fun. It was like a short series of days that were very, very special. I don't think I can have that again even now just because you had to be a 
certain age. You had to be a certain mindset to have that. You know how when you're younger, mm. you want people at your house all the time. Yeah, yeah. Like you want them to come over all the freaking time. And that then you get older and you're like, why do I want people in my house all the time? It was a pain in the ass cleaning up. Like, <laughs> why? I don't want people in my house. Like when you get older, you grow out of that mindset of wanting to be around so many people all the time. Uh, but um, at that time, I loved being with everybody. I loved having everybody come over and just provide their input. Um, it was, sometimes it wasn't even in my house. Sometimes it would be in my other good friend's house, uh, Maki Serapio. So Maki right. Serapio is basically like the central hub of all the, of all the musicians um, in our circle. His house was basically like they just show up and then they hang out and then they jam out. And it was like that. Cool. So you also joined the Element Songwriting and Music Camp. Like what year was this? I think that was 2014, 2015. How was the experience? My gosh, there there were like 60 of you in the in the in the batch. And like who who were there? Who were the the bands that were there mentoring? Oh, it was really I know there were so many pe- I know famous people there. Like some of them are really famous now. There's Howard from the Flamingos. Oh, flamingos. Mm. Um, there was my roommate was Lily from the Ransom Collective. Oh, Ransom Collective. I love their stuff. They're like folksy. I remember. Yeah. yeah, and then Ben of Ben and Ben was there. Batchmates kayo nila Ben and Ben. I think so. Or I I could be wrong. Maybe it was their girlfriend that was my batchmate. But basically, I saw them. <laughs> they were there. And then mm-hmm. BP Valenzuela. Electronic stuff, right? Yeah. I'm trying to remember everybody that was there that's like my batchmates that are super famous now. They were they were already famous even back then. You know, it was like in Manila, everybody knew each other. And then all the mentors knew them. So the, Ryan Payabia was there. Ebe Dancel was there. Aya De Leon was there. Chito. Miranda, um, Gabby Alipe, everybody. My mentor was a Sir Joey Ayala. Oh. And I even had um, a batchmate that was like, went to Berkeley Music School. And I was like, oh my God, I am so, I don't deserve to be in the same room as these some of these people. They're like so highbrow. Um, Gerald. Uh, but you do, you deserve to be there. You're so good. Come on. Me <laughs> with my, with my widow flex. <laughs> in my window flow and I was like and then they had these games that were like okay read the read the notes on this (laughs) concert piece and I was like uh Okay, don't look at me. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't know how to read notes. <laughs> so like, yeah. So they, I don't know how to sight read or whatever. But a lot of people there knew how. There, Gerard Salonga, a conductor, was there. Um, it was kind of, um, it was kind of surreal, really. Right, right. So um, can you tell me more about that time when Imago asked you to be the new vocalist? Like, how did that feel? Oh yeah, that was really cool. Actually, the only person that I knew from there, from Imago, was um, Zach Lucero. So I knew Zach from Radio Republic because I had he had asked me to be part of a show that they were doing. Basically, they were shooting me and doing a feature on me as myself, as a musician. And Zach was leading that whole thing, you know? So Radio Republic is has been very, very supportive mm. of, of me and my music. And that's how I met Zach. I, I think he was able to watch me play with my band. He, he asked me. He asked me if I wanted to be, if I could be the new vocalist of Imago. And I was like, oh my God, are you actually asking me to be 
the new vocalist of uh, a band that all my friends know since childhood. <laughs> like, are you sure? <laughs> and then um, he was like, "Yeah, I, I, I heard, I heard how you played. I, I, I like the way that you, that you sang." And then I think probably the part, the, the fact that I played guitar, um, was one of uh, was a you know was a, a factor in that. I was always super torn. This was like after I had uh, released our EP and then I just came back from from camp, I think. And uh, uh, my band was like having lots of gigs as well. I also had a job already here. I was like, I, I was very much entrenched in Davao City. It was super amazing to be asked. I just couldn't pack up my life and leave. Because uh, basically I was like, okay, so what does that mean? What does that mean? You want me to be your vocalist? I'm in Davao. It's like, well, of course you have to live here because we have gigs every week. And so I was like, can I think about it? <laughs> and then I talked to my husband about it. And then he was like, I, I don't know. I don't think you can do that. You'd have to end your job, quit your job. I'd have to quit my job. Maybe he didn't need to quit his job because everything's online. But I would have to quit my job. Um, we'd have to leave our house. We'd have to find another house to live in. All those things that we, you know, that are not fun to do. So he followed up on me. For like a week and then basically after a week he was like okay we found somebody else we found somebody else who's gonna who is our second choice if you're not gonna do it could you let me know just because we're just gonna go with the other person and so I said yeah I, I'm sorry but I can't do it I just I just don't have the luxury of leaving just then or just leaving everything behind mm-hmm. you know but it was nice to be asked it was super flattering it was really cool. I never really told anybody about it either. Some, I think I told like my ba- my our bassist. You know, you know that the, that feeling that if only I could be in two places at one time. If only I could cut myself in half. If, yeah, but you still made that decision, and and I'm proud of you too for for you know getting through that. It, that was difficult too. Yeah, I can imagine. Thank you. <laughs> that makes you wonder just how much do I do you like music? So like that's the thing uh, when something like that is put on your plate. You basically have to ask yourself, so how much of this is me um, being in a band, uh, being the vocalist of a band? How much of that is me? Am I 95% that? Is this my whole identity? But I wasn't. I was doing other things. I was also, you know, a family member. I was a wife. I was uh, working. Mm. I was doing other things. And I was a bandmate to my bandmates. So they were my bandmates. It would also mean breaking the news to them and telling them that, sorry, our, our band is gone. And my, our band was like at doing a lot of things that, at the time. Yeah. So we had no plans of um, splitting up or anything. We were truly enjoying ourselves. So yeah, uh, in the end, it wasn't that hard a decision to make. It was, it was uh, challenging to think about, That's right. but it actually helped me figure out my identity even more. Right, right. That's right. So what is your purpose? Like when, when the stuff that you create, when you do your art, when you play your music, when you write songs, what's your purpose? Like what's the essence of it all for you? That's a good question. This is the thing about being an indie musician. You really spend a lot of money to make none. That's the thing. And I think that's true for basically any creative um, endeavor in Davao City, really. <laughs> Like you spend a lot of money to make none. And you know, why 
what makes you do what you do and continue doing it it's the sheer love of it you weigh how much you want to sacrifice in order to pursue your passion you weigh how much this passion occupies your mind and then you weigh it against the happiness that you get from doing it sometimes it gets to a point where you keep doing it and doing it and you're not happy anymore and then that's when you need to reassess yeah exactly so the way that i keep going and the way that keep doing what i want to do is i keep doing that reassessment at certain points in my life i need to make sure that i'm still the same person that i was uh, two years ago six months ago because it can change you know i'm coming to terms with the fact that that's fine people change people can grow out of their passions but i've never i've just never grown out of making music maybe i don't make it as much now especially because of the pandemic mm. but i haven't grown out of it you know i keep asking myself am i still the same person that loves music i i still am so if you ask yourself am i still the same person who loves to to interview people and do podcasts and hear their stories I still am, you know. I think that's also one of the reasons why I wanted to do a podcast is because I've been off air for like two straight years. And when you mentioned that, like, am I still the same yeah. person? I did that reassessment too. And and when I finally decided that, hey, I really want to do this because apart from not having an, a creative outlet, me being a, like a voice behind like a radio or or like behind the mic or, or anything. So apart from that, I also wanted to talk to creatives that also have been struggling like for the past two years. And sometimes it's not even just two years. Sometimes it's like many, many years for others. So, yeah. and we have, when we have shared experiences, at, le at least people will feel like they're not alone, that they can still get inspired. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's actually a great thing to do, the reassessment, so that you will figure out like what would be best for you, like at, at, at a certain point in your life. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. Exactly. I, I totally agree. Uh, basically, like, um, if you're not doing that constantly, a reassessment for me is asking yourself to be honest. So if you're not constantly asking yourself to be honest with yourself, everything you do after that kind of gets lost along the way. So as long as you're being honest with yourself, everything you do will also be honest. It will sound honest, it will look honest, it will feel honest. Yeah. And People can pick up on that. They can pick up whether or not this particular work is sincere, whether this um, particular creation is sincere. And I think that's that's really the heart of it. That's right. The authenticity. So would you have like any advice, some sort of like anything or anything that you learned along the way that you think might help like other people who also want to get creative, who also want to make something out of nothing? I think the person that I look up to, one of the people that I look up to the most is my husband because he's been doing what he's been doing for so many years. He's a professional illustrator. That's not something a lot of people can do consistently. And it's something a lot of people want to do because they're like, oh, I just want to draw for a living right but the thing is it's not just drawing for a living it's actually honing your craft for so so many years and actually also being able to handle the business side of things You're, you have to have a business mindset a grueling work ethic exactly because if you have a job that just requires you to draw every day you're gonna have to make sure that you draw every damn day 
because you have a job that allows you to draw every day. You know, that's what he tells me. Mm. I'm lucky to be able to draw every day and do what I love. And that thing puts this thing that I do, Mm. this thing that I love to do, puts a roof over my head and keeps the lights on. I'm lucky to have that. So I need to work my ass off. I need to make sure that I draw every damn day. That's that's what he tells me. Mm. So he's not just drawing and doing what he loves he's doing what he loves with the work ethic of somebody with everything on the line it's not something casual for him he does it with everything he's got even though his job requires him doesn't require him to go to an office doesn't require him to clock in at any particular time doesn't require him to commute anywhere he goes and does his job every single day at the same time and even beyond because that's the thing with freelancers you have tw- you turn into a 24-hour workday if you're not even a freelancer, but if you're basically somebody with your own um, entrepreneurial career, then you turn into something, into a workaholic. So um, my advice for people who, wanna, who want to keep pursuing their creative field, my husband is on one, one side of the spectrum. He is somebody who understands that in order to do what you love, you have to put in an immense, massive, um, incredible amount of work and self-discipline. There are other people who also want to be creative, but they, they do it in a more casual sense. And that's not bad. You just have to understand where you are so that your expectations are set for yourself. So if you're a creative and you want this to be your bread and butter, then you need to work your ass off. But if you're creative and you have the extra resources, you have disposable income, you, 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 know, you make a nice wage and you have, the extra, you, know, you have the extra cash to blow on this or that gadget or this or that yeah. um, creative workstation, a, a laptop, a guitar, art materials, then don't be so hard on yourself because you're not, you're not necessarily doing it for the money. So you just have to understand where you are, what what really is the purpose of you doing this thing. Right. And then when you're honest with yourself about it, that's when you can hold yourself accountable for it. And that's hard to do. It's, you know, it's easy to say it's hard to do. Like for me, this is something that I'm doing because I love it. And that requires me to tell myself, I'm doing this because I love it. I must not get discouraged if there's no payoff mm-hmm. because that's not the reason I'm doing it. The payoff isn't the reason I'm doing it. The reason I'm doing it is because I love it. And if I still love it at the end of the day, yeah. then that's all I need to keep doing it. So that's just my that's just my take on it. Yeah, awesome. God, heavy stuff, Jed. Yeah, man. <laughs> really, like, like, why did we end yeah. up that? <laughs> <laughs> But thank you so much, Jad. I really, I really appreciate it. And I'm sure like a lot of people that can learn a lot from the stuff that you've been through, from the stuff that you've shared and, you know, for all of the the experiences that you've had and that you mentioned here in the podcast. And oh, um, can you invite people to check you out on your uh, social media platforms? Sure. Please check me out on Spotify. Uh, I'm under Jad Montenegro the artist because I also have like a personal Spotify don't click that (laughs) you'll see all my weird playlists (laughs) um just click on the Jad Montenegro artist 
uh, my two EPs are there. I'm also on Bandcamp uh, and uh, SoundCloud, although I haven't updated in a while. But my entire discography is on Bandcamp, uh, also for purchase. So if you want to purchase something, you can do it there. Um, yeah, so everything's on Spotify and Bandcamp. Just search Jad Montenegro. That's it. And I also have a Facebook page, uh, Jad Montenegro Music. Mm, awesome, awesome. That's it. All righty. Thanks so much, Jad. I appreciate your Thank time. You. And Thank you. Thank you for listening to me blather on. Thank you so much. <laughs> and thank you too for answering my questions, no matter like, like whatever I throw at you, you're like so up for it. I prepared everything beforehand. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, let's talk again soon. And I'm really glad that you're here and um, you shared a lot that would help other creatives too, to get inspired, to get motivated, to do what they want to do. And you're an inspiration, like hands down. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You have a good one. This episode is in partnership with South Republic. That's South Republic with a K on YouTube and Facebook. This is Aubrey and you're listening to It's All Material. New episode every Thursday at 7 p.m.